Welcome to Beef and Forage Roundup with host Chantal McRae. This podcast is a production of Manitoba Beef and Forage Initiatives, created to share information with farmers, producers, and agriculture enthusiasts, and to showcase the important work that is happening at MBFI. Our podcasts drop on the first and third Wednesday of each month. We will be sharing information through interviews, general manager, Mary Jane Orr, project leads for various projects, MBFI team members, speakers from our extension events, industry leaders, and industry suppliers. This podcast will dig deep into on-farm research and field testing practices related to beef cattle and forage production and efficiency and sustainability of practice in the agricultural industry in Manitoba. We will be sharing information on upcoming training and workshops, field and farm demonstration tours, education materials and events at MBFI, as well as producer profiles from around the province and information on their own trials, challenges, innovation, and results. We encourage you to browse our social media accounts and website for links to more information on projects, upcoming events, and important deadlines. Information on our social accounts and website can be found following the show and in the show notes. As always, we encourage you to email us if you have feedback, questions, or topic suggestions for the show at information at mbfi.ca. Melissa Atchison grew up on a purebred operation in the Interlake region of Manitoba. She attended the University of Manitoba, where she received her Bachelor of Science in Agriculture with a focus on animal science. Since then, Melissa has worked for the Canadian Food Inspection Agency as a porcine inspector and for Manitoba Agriculture as a livestock specialist. Melissa spent several years with the Verified Beef Production Plus program, both as an auditor and as a provincial coordinator. And currently, Melissa is the research and extension specialist with Manitoba beef producers. She also farms with her husband and his family in southwest Manitoba, where they run a large cow-calf operation. Welcome to the podcast today, Melissa. You have a background that is filled with experiences in the beef industry, and I'm really looking forward to our conversations today. To start, can you share a bit of information about your background, especially as it relates to the beef industry? Sure. Thanks for having me today. I guess I grew up on a purebred operation in the Inner Lake, so I've always been around cattle and, and the beef industry and that, you know, calving cows in February. <laughs> and I went off to university. I had originally actually wanted to be a vet and I started taking my egg degree and I thought, gosh, there's a lot more to this than I realized. Uh, and it really broadened my horizons and my perspective on the agriculture industry in general. And so I thought, gosh, I really like this. I think I might want to finish this out and see what comes of that. And I really enjoyed it. And it gave me a lot of experience. You know, I, I was a forage technician for Manitoba Ag for a while as a summer student. I was an inspector at different plants for the CFIA, which was super interesting because I really enjoy anatomy. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty cool. After that, an extension specialist with the Department of Agriculture, which was really, really a great job. I really enjoyed working with producers and, and helping them get the most out of their operations. And, and I'm still involved heavily, obviously, on our own operation where we, we calve out a bunch of cows and have a backgrounding lot. So it's a multi-generational family farm and so still have a lot of boots on the ground experience in that. Awesome. And I'm so glad you said that because I think there's a lot of people that think about the egg industry and they think about being a vet or they think about being a farmer and they don't necessarily think about all of the other jobs that there are in the egg field. 
that are within the industry. So I'm really glad that you started with that. Moving from there, tell me about your new role as the research and extension specialist with Manitoba Beef Producers. Yeah, it's a relatively new role. I've been in it since I think October of last year. Geez, time is flying. I'm really enjoying it. It's a technical position with a focus on all areas of beef production, efficient production practices, health and welfare, research, obviously, environmental stewardship. So I provide technical support to the staff and directors and also to our membership on those topics. Additionally, I work with uh, my, you know, my counterparts in different jurisdictions, Saskatchewan Cattlemen's and, and Alberta beef producers. And of course, my work on the BCRC to just keep abreast on key topics in the industry and help with knowledge transfer in that way. I lead some extension activities as well that I get ideas from our board and from our members and take direction from them or I provide ideas and they say, gosh, that's a great idea. Roll with it. Most of the time, I've got a really great board to work with. And of course, we work with research partners on different project proposals. As MBP, we will uh, help them apply for funding from different funding streams and partner for different activities for projects that benefit all of the beef sector in Manitoba. And then, of course, I work with our rock star communication specialist, David Halton, to communicate all these results and, and the benefits of these investments for our membership. So besides that, what are some of the tasks that you're currently taking on in the role? And what goals do you have to further support beef producers or the beef sector in general? Well, right now I'm MVP. I'm, I'm helping with being a co-applicant on several different research studies. So one with Dr. Kim Minsky, effects of stacking GHG mitigation strategies. Um, we're a co-applicant on that. An environmental impact study of implants and suckling calves, also with Dr. Minsky. I need to congratulate Dr. Kim Minsky. Very proud of her in Manitoba. She just received the uh, Research and Innovation Award on behalf of BCRC at the Canadian Beef Industry Conference. So that was that was a very prestigious award and very well deserved. We're we're very happy to have her in Manitoba. That's really exciting. There's a biomass productivity maps research study using drones. Very interesting. I have a meeting with the lead next week to talk about producer cooperators that we may have in the in the area. I do a lot of work, obviously, with the Verify Beef Production Plus program. Lots of producers are familiar with that. I provide technical support and training in that program. So if anybody has any questions, they can contact me. This summer, we did a lot of participation with some other interest groups. And it was a consultation process for various conservation initiatives that are coming down the pipe. And we just wanted to make sure that uh, our members were well represented that landowners were well represented. It was at a very busy time of year and there wasn't a ton of landowner representation at those meetings. So I was happy to attend those and bring that perspective from my own experience as an operator and a landowner and also on behalf of our membership for MVP. And I try to have a knowledge of the suite of programs that are available for producers. There's just been a slew of them announced this year with the new SCAP. So what I did was I created a document just summarizing all of the different funding opportunities available for beef and forage producers in Manitoba. And it was a beast. So it is on our website. Just go to mbbeef.ca. If you scroll down to the bottom of the page, it's there. And so you'll be able to see who the, who the funder is or the delivery agent. And I have all of the how to apply, where to apply, and what's covered and the cost share in that document. So it's a one-stop shop. I just find it 
was very overwhelming for folks to try to navigate all of the different funding streams, you know, available now through the watersheds and government. So I thought that would be really helpful for producers. And then regular stuff of just trying to keep up to date on the day-to-day boots on the ground production practices that can help producers be more efficient in their own operations. Maybe not knowing all the answers, but knowing where to find them and and help folks uh, be more efficient and effective. I, I really enjoy helping producers get the most out of their operation or just answer questions that they might have about production practices. As far as my goals, again, keeping current in the beef industry by attending educational activities like CBIC. I was just there uh, two weeks ago. What a wonderful conference if you're able to attend. I know it's a busy time of year, but oh, it's, it's unreal because every agency is there. There's great educational events. And then, of course, we all know the meeting after the meeting is where most things are learned. So if you ever have an opportunity to attend the Canadian Beef Industry Conference, please do so. Where was that located? This year it was in Calgary. And uh, it's my understanding that they alternate. So it goes Calgary, somewhere else, Calgary, somewhere else every second year. Yeah. And have they announced for 2024 where it is going to be held? Yes. In 2024, CBIC will be in Saskatoon. So nice. Yeah. A little closer. I I could drive it this time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So very excited about that. Building and maintaining my relationships with other associations and industry experts and consulting them and seeing what their extension plans are and seeing what, you know, we do a lot of knowledge sharing and, and tech transfer and seeing, you know, what worked in their area, what I could apply to, to Manitoba and vice versa. It's very reciprocal. It's great to work with lots of collaborative people in other jurisdictions. And of course, I'm super fortunate to work with such a great team at MVP. The collective knowledge and strengths of the staff and the board of directors are just second to none. We have a very strong association We have such active engagement with CCA, Canadian Cattle Association committees. We have members on the executive committee, representation at the National Checkoff and CCIA, and extensive experience with Egg Crown Lands, BRM programming, business management, collaboration, of course, with MBFI, and active engagement on the BCRC as well. So we really have a rock star team. I'm so fortunate to be a part of it. It's really exciting when that kind of an association has that much knowledge and that much strength in their in their board and in their staff to bring to producers. Like to me that just makes me so excited for for the opportunities that that presents. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just while I'm thinking about it, I'm I'll just mention it that I will link the document that you made. I'll make sure that it's linked into the show notes with the mbbeef.ca website link as well. And I'll put the CBIC website in too. And then that way, if producers are looking for it and they're interested in the conference, they can just go to the show notes and find it from there. Uh, And link to BCRC website as well. Can you give a little background on BCRC or Beef Cattle Research Council and its importance to the industry and a little bit about what your experience is and your current role with them? Yeah. So I am a director uh, appointed to the Beef Cattle Research Council. So A little background on BCRC, it's Canada's national industry-led funding agency for beef cattle and forage research. And so it's a division of the Canadian Cattle Association, established in the late 90s, I'm not quite sure when. The way it's funded is through through national checkoff. So a portion of our national checkoff, so when we sell cattle in Manitoba, right, we have a 550 
checkoff total per head, $3 goes to MVP for its activities and 250 goes to the national checkoff. So a portion of that national checkoff goes to the BCRC and its initiatives. Uh, the mandate of BCRC is determine research priorities for the Canadian cattle industry and to administer the beef cattle checkoff funds allocated to research. So the way that they are responsible for those, those dollars is incredible. The board is actually appointed by the provincial associations. And so there's representation from all across Canada and everybody on the board is a producer. So when we are presented with research proposals, we have support from the staff to kind of uh, decipher them for us. And if they're very complex to put them in layman's terms that we can understand. We're so thankful for people like Reynolds and Stacy for deciphering these for us. And so then once those are, they kind of give us the Coles notes about what they mean and the implications. They're also reviewed by academics to let us know whether or not they are a sound study structurally. But the be all end all is those proposals live or die by producers on that board. If, if we say this is relevant and this is an issue that needs to be addressed, it'll go through for a full proposal or for funding. So that's how those checkoff dollars are really responsibly spent and it, and it stays so relevant because it's producers deciding the final answer. Yeah, that's super interesting to me. You know, if you want to know more about BCRC, go check out their website, uh, beefresearch.ca. Sign up for their e-newsletter. It's called The Wire. Really great. Very palatable. It's not like researchy. It, it's very producer friendly. And they also have really great interactive tools on their website. So they've got a Forage pick tool. They have a Yoni's disease calculator just to help make informed decisions on your farm with uh, economic backing. I think, I think it's just such a, such a cool user-friendly uh, website. So please check it out. I'd agree. I do lots of research on there for the podcast and it's super easy to find what I'm looking for and just yes, through it. And it's very yeah. easy to navigate, very intuitive. Yeah. It's just a great, great website. They've done a terrific job. I agree. Can I ask you one more question about like the BCRC research? Of course. Those proposals that are sent in, are those producer sent proposals or are those proposals from academics that are sent in or where do those come from when you guys are looking through them? Yeah. So they're generally from academics, but there are different funding pools they can apply to. So there's research proposals submitted for forage research and productivity. There's animal health and welfare. There's food quality. So they, they apply to the pool that's most relevant to them. But then there's also what we call proof of concept studies. So where they have a smaller amount that folks can apply for, but if it shows results that are promising, that would be a good idea to make into a bigger study. There hasn't been a huge investment in terms of dollars, um, so it's not that risky, but you might have a great outcome going, gosh, we should research this further. So that's the proof of concept. So that's a great way for academics to apply. And we also have knowledge and tech transfers. So those ones actually come from extension specialists. And so we could apply for funding to put on a proof of concept or a demonstration at a research farm that we may be cooperating with, or to put on a workshop to help with knowledge and tech transfer for different production practices in the industry. And is there a certain number of projects that are chosen every year, or is it kind of just, these are the ones that we really want to focus on? 
And so we're going to look at these ones this year and then we'll see what's available for next year. They are budgeted for based on BCRC's annual budget and then also the science cluster. So a certain portion have to be under certain priorities in the cluster. And then BCRC has funding allocations as well. It's just deciding which ones take up how much of the pie is, is what it is. But that's why our producer board is there and we get guidance from the staff and, and our science team. But we decide what's re- most relevant for the beef industry in Canada. What a cool position to be in. Yeah, it is amazing to see. We've got such a world-renowned, robust beef and forage research suite in Canada. We are in a a very good position for beef and forage research, and we have a lot of bright minds. That's exciting. It is. How are national resources being brought to Manitoba to support producers? So I mentioned different initiatives at BCRC that are national resources. So Folks probably saw a pretty big blitz online and at different workshops of the CAF 911 series you might be familiar with. We had it at MBFI. They've been all over the internet. So there's interactive tools, CAF resuscitation, dealing with dystocia. So that was a great resource for producers. There's a forage UPIC tool. So that's really cool. You can enter different specs for your region and it'll help you decide a forage mixture that would work best for your area, given its climate and your soils and your your goals. So great way to make an informed decision. Cowbites is now back most recently. It's It was kind of on the back burner for a bit. Alberta Egg had the rights to it and it kind of lapsed. So Cowbites is a ration formulation tool, very user-friendly. It'll help you build your rations for winter so you can prioritize, you know, if there's, if there's feed shortage or if there's quality feed shortage, you can allocate your feed resources accordingly to get you through the winter. So a really great tool online, just uh, head to the BCRC website and you can get cow bites as well. Other national resources, Dr. Vern Barron's team has bred a winter hardy alfalfa variety and it has reduced fall dormancy. So that's a great thing for withstanding our Manitoba winters. Another mention of Dr. Kim Ominsky and Tim McAllister, they led a study that determined removing technologies like implants and feed additives from feedlot cattle actually had a negative impact on environmental outcomes with respect to water and land use, GHGs and ammonia emissions. So that study gave us data to inform public trust and policy decisions on those important technologies. So that research has implications for boots on the ground cow-calf producers. So as we've talked about, BCRC is the national leader in beef cattle research, as well as extension resources. Can you share any news of work that's just starting or that's wrapping up that we should be keeping an eye on in the coming months? Yeah, absolutely. There's lots to to choose from. And if you want to go to the BCRC website and check out the year in review, there's a great way to find out all the things that have wrapped up or, or ongoing or expected to come in the future. But, you know, of note for me, I really find uh, interesting. This is one that we read and and really enjoyed. Actually, we had quite the debate on it as a board, but I did find it very interesting. So the, the title is Genetic Evaluation of Cattle Raised Under High Versus Low Input Winter Feeding Systems. And that's Dr. John Basarab. And so the objective was to estimate genetic and phenotypic correlations of an animal's dry matter intake and feed efficiency with heifer fertility, longevity, and lifetime productivity of cows reared under two separate 
winter feeding systems, so high input versus low input. And so that project is going to determine whether genetics identified as like efficient, so to speak, in a feedlot condition will also produce cows with superior lifetime productivity when they're wintered under intensive dry lot versus more extensive range conditions. So given that inputs are expensive and folks are trying to do their best to reduce overhead costs, I think this is going to be a cool way to quantify some outcomes of raising cows extensively to make sure that, you know, we're not starving a profit into a cow, for lack of a better phrase, and just proving that they're not low management systems, but they're low overhead systems, and just to see which cows are most efficient and and help improve our bottom line. So I think that one's going to have some really neat outcomes. I'm really excited to see that one. Is that one just starting? Yes. Yes, it is. Another one that I think is really interesting, long-term cost-benefit analysis of including forages in cropping rotation. So that's what Dr. Edward Bork, I think a hot topic these days is perennialization of croplands and adding perennials in. And so we know that integrating forages into crop rotations has a lot of benefits, you know, weed suppression, increasing productivity over the long-term, soil quality improvements, but there's a short-term loss of cropland that kind of makes it seem cost prohibitive. So that short-term pain is is trumping the long-term gain of it, right? There hasn't been a lot of research that looks into the long-term agricultural and economic benefits of that practice. So I'm really excited to see that quantified. So the project is going to help provide data on the value of maintaining and including forages in a rotation not just the value they have to capture carbon and all of those environmental and biodiversity benefits, but also the long-term economics of it for producers to make a compelling argument to keep perennials in, in a rotation, just given that land conversion is such a huge issue all across the Western prairies. That's super interesting to me. And we talked to Dr. Edward Bork a few episodes ago now, and the knowledge that he has just fascinates me. Like there's so much that, that he knows. And especially we were talking about the carbon cycle and beef production, and he just has so much information on, on what that looks like. So it'll be really interesting to follow along with that study. We have such a good news story to tell uh, in Mm -hmm. the beef industry on that front. So I'm very excited for more of these outcomes to be that we see um, anecdotally to be quantified. Yeah. Yeah, Cause it's one thing to say on our farm, we've noticed this, but mm-hmm. for it to be an academic study where they can say, no, we've proven that yeah. this is going to re- be what you get back out of this. It's measurable, it's repeatable, and it's yeah. reputable. Absolutely. On the flip side of that, what are we investing in or working on in Manitoba that is gaining national recognition? One thing that came to mind for me when I read this question earlier was he was at our MBP annual general meeting. So it's Dr. Pascal Badu. He works for Ducks Unlimited Canada, and he's got a huge project going on called Prairie Ecosystem Climate and Carbon Project. So it's quantifying the contribution of landscapes that support livestock production, particularly wetlands on pasture land. The aim of the study is to quantify the ecological goods and services that are provided by the Canadian beef industry. And that research is going to give us a better understanding of how the Canadian beef industry helps to preserve native wetlands and those ecosystems and their associated services 
in the Canadian prairie. So that helps build public trust and inform programming and policy decisions. And I'm very, very excited about that. I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention MVP's investment in Manitoba Beef and Forage initiatives. There's so much value in bringing focused academic research to on-farm demo and peer-to-peer learning. So sometimes as a producer, we don't want to take the risk of taking uh, the results of an academic study where the variables were tightly controlled and then going full-blown field scale. So the beauty of MBFI is that they do that for us. And then we can see how how that maybe more controlled study reacts on a field scale basis on a real working farm with real variables like drought and rainfall and all these things. So love the work that's being done at MBFI. You know, there's that commitment to longer term demos that can be leveraged into academic research to quantify those outcomes. So a, a proof of concept at a place like MBFI can be used as a really cost effective way to garner results that would support a larger academic study too. So it works both ways, showing what that academic research outcomes look like on a field scale and also doing a proof of concept that may go, gosh, we should quantify this. This is showing anecdotal results. Let's make it repeatable. Let's control the variables and see what we can get and and duplicate it. And maybe this is going to be a good news story for our industry. I work for MBFI, so I'm a little bit biased, but I think that Mary Jane and the team that they have at the farm, there's so many things that they're doing and working on that, like you said, they're a really good step between this is the academic study and I'm going to go do this on my whole farm. I just love that it takes that risk out for me as a producer, right? If I'm looking at that going, oh, do I want to invest this much risk and this much investment in capital on something I don't know will quite work on my operation? Well, they're on your doorstep. And if I have land similar to that or an area similar to that with similar goals and, and they do it and they show, you know, good outcomes and it's fairly repeatable and consistent, I am way more likely to adopt that practice when I've seen it done. Right. So yeah, absolutely a great, a great conduit between academic research and boots on the ground and, and that info flowing both ways. And a quick shout out because we haven't done it on the podcast before. The MBFI website has been redone a little bit in the last while, and it is so easy to find the research topics and to find some of those papers and their one-page information pamphlets. So if producers haven't been there to look at the new website, I would encourage you to do so. Absolutely. I checked it out and it's so intuitive now. And I love the thumbnails with the different topics. It's it's just such an easy way to search the different research studies. And I, I loved it. Yeah, so did I. It's terrific. Where do you see the biggest opportunities to advance beef cattle production practices in the near future or long term? Yeah, I think our industry has been working really hard at validating and benchmarking the production practices that have positive, not only economic, but also environmental outcomes. Like we know as producers what we see in our pastures and how they respond to different production practices and we see the biodiversity and we see the soil health impacts of our production management. But I think we're, we're doing really well at moving towards quantifying these practices with a level of confidence and a level of consistency of predictability that we're soon 
hopefully going to be able to use these results for beef and forage producers to be able to participate in carbon market and, you know, things like that. And also just in terms of the public trust, I see it shifting and I, I really love seeing companies or agencies with bigger platforms telling our good news story because I find a lot of the time egg messaging is super positive, but we're also kind of preaching to the converted, you know, within our own community and, and they're using their platforms to reach millions of consumers and tell our good story. And I just, I really appreciate that, you know, building on that. I think I, I heard a great quote, biodiversity is the new carbon. And not that carbon um, is going anywhere, but biodiversity is a new hot topic. And I really think that the beef industry, particularly the cow-calf and grasser sectors, are in such an enviable position relative to other ag sectors to take advantage of telling that story and maybe taking advantage of any future potential value propositions associated with maintaining and enhancing wildlife diversity, ecological diversity, and in, in, in plant and animal populations and water stewardship. I think we have such a good story to tell. And I think that's on the horizon. Yeah, there's a lot of really great stories in egg, and it's getting that message out to other people who maybe don't have that exposure or that experience in egg to really understand that and kind of grab onto it and, and help us share that story. So it's nice to hear that there are some bigger companies that are taking that on a little bit and helping it out in that way. You're working in collaboration with MBFI in many aspects and in particular on a demonstration of utilizing calf growth promotants and ear implants. And you've discussed that just briefly already, but we're going to dig into that a little bit more. So what can you tell our listeners about the project and your perspective on using growth promotants in suckling calves? The benefits are well known of using growth promotants. We know that what the outcome is going to be of this of this demonstration. But even still, the adoption of the use of that technology is super undersubscribed. So less than twenty percent of producers use growth promotants in their in their calves. So especially in suckling calves, it's really underutilized. A lot more applied in the in your feeder cattle, grassers, etc. So we know the benefits. We know we're going to get gains. We know that the environmental footprint is lower. They're more efficient. But what we're excited to show is maybe the long-term implications and perhaps some myth-busting. I think people are a little bit gun-shy to use growth promotants in, in calves because they're going to be selecting breeding stock maybe from those animals or their, yeah, their replacement heifers for instance. And, you know, the research is showing that there are no long-term implications for rebreeding on heifers and, you know, affecting long-term fertility. But the beauty of MBFI is that they raise their own replacements and we can keep going with this project and track over time their reproductive data. And again, take that risk out or demonstrate it on farm for folks because there's, I think there's just some long-standing misconceptions about implants. And I think it's a great way to just show folks the results on, again, a real working farm and hopefully maybe increase adoption of that technology because it has a good news story in terms of economic outcomes for the producer and environmental impact as well. So if there's producers who are listening, who are unfamiliar altogether about the growth implants, 
Can you share how they work, how they're placed on the cattle and that kind of thing as well? Yeah, you bet. So you use a special gun that injects them in. It's a little pellet. You slide it under the base of the ear. It's a, a hollow needle and it, it ejects the pellet out when you pull the trigger. And then you just rub your thumb over the injection site and close up the hole. And that's it. And it slowly releases the right proportion of hormones to help increase efficiency, essentially. And that helps bolster growth, right? Very easy to use once you have proper training, safe to use. And the results are you do get better gains on your on your cattle or your calves. So really easy to do. With the results of this, we're going to put together probably some workshops and some online material to show how we administered them and just a step-by-step guide. We'll do some myth busting. I would really like to highlight the results in terms of the weight differences between the two contemporary groups because we did 50% of steers and 50% of the heifers and to compare those because they do have similar genetics. So it's a great way to kind of show the difference within the herd under the same management system. So we'll highlight those results. I would like to have some extension days highlighting those results and then also having an implanting workshop. So I could get some cadaver ears and everybody can take turns practicing implanting and learning how to do it on the cadaver ears. And just longer term, being able to update people on the long-term impacts on the reproductive productivity of the animals that were administered the, the implants over time at MBFI. And I will link the MBFI page where it's talking about this project into the show notes as well. MBFI is a spring calving herd. Does it matter what time of year producers are calving if they're using the implants? No, it doesn't matter what time of year you're calving. It just matters the age of the calf at time of implanting. So I'm not going to make any recommendations just because I don't represent the brand, but there is one brand that is safe to use in suckling calves. And then you just have to talk to your vet about timing of administration. Well, thank you. Do you know if there's lasting impacts of that hormone in say steers that are being eaten or heifers that are being eaten later on? So the difference in a serving of beef between a treated and non-treated animal is statistically insignificant in terms of the hormone levels in each. So there, there aren't any concerns from actual quantitative perspective, but, you know, I still think people can get romanced or scared from statistics given out of context or not understanding how to interpret results or you know, how small a nanogram actually is of estrogen. And they they don't understand that, like, I'm eating a piece of beef that was implanted. So I'm eating a serving. I am getting, by orders of magnitude, much more exposure to estrogen from eating some coleslaw, right? Because of the phytoestrogens in, in plants, right? Or soybeans, for instance, or right. anything like that. So when you present some context to it, it can really put minds at ease. Not only do they not have any negative effects on consumption of that meat, their use lowers environmental impacts. So less land and less water and more efficient gains, so less feed to produce that pound of beef versus an animal that has not been treated with an implant. So it has economic benefits for the producer using them, and it has environmental benefits, which translate to societal benefits. I think that will be a really interesting study to revisit 
once we have more information on the long-term reproduction of those heifers. But in the short term, I think just looking at the differences in weight between implanted and not implanted calves is going to be beneficial to producers. Yeah, particularly in heifers when they're often, well, these days, 30 cents behind the steers. If you could get some gains on them and it it's proven, you get an ROI on those implants. So if you can get some more pounds on them, it's always handy to do so. Yeah. And if you can do that without having to put in a whole bunch of extra overhead as far as feed and supplements yeah, and things. Doing it by virtue of increasing their efficiency. Yeah, you're you're doing a good thing. What outcomes do you anticipate from this work? We already know the results of using implants and suckling calves gives you more pounds at weaning time. And so we're hoping to demonstrate that because we've, again, done 50% of the steers and heifers in each group. So we can show the differences across similar genetics. So we're going to show that they have increased gains. But the most important thing is showing folks that there aren't going to be any long-term reproductive issues. And it's nice that MBFI does select their own heifers for rebreeding. So we can we can show folks over time, we know who was implanted and who wasn't, and show you the difference in between open rates or rebreeding rates on these heifers and as they go into the cow herd. And I don't anticipate any difference from normal industry average or whatever normal is for the farm. And do you know when producers could expect some results from the research? and where they would be posted or shared? Sure. So as soon as MBFI weans those calves, I'll be there for weaning and weigh day. Once we weigh everybody and everybody is cross-referenced with who got an implant and who didn't, I can compare the two. We'll put them on the website. And so those results will be there in terms of the weight differences in the different classes of cattle. And then we can put that into dollars and cents, you know, with the cost of the implant and the weight of the ones that did get implanted versus didn't, and then the market price at that time as well. So we can we can put that all into dollars and cents to show what the ROI would be of using versus not using implants. So that would be exciting. That'll be later in the fall, obviously, when the calves are weaned at MBFI. So keep up to date on that. We'll put it on the website. And again, I'm hoping to have some information days where we can sit down and actually put some hands on some ears and and practice it and have the company come and you know, talk about administration and any, any more in-depth questions there might be about administering the implants. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before we wrap up today? You know, if you want to see what we're doing at MVP, visit our website. If you have any ideas for what you would like to see in terms of extension and research, please let us know. And obviously we'll work with MBFI on that as well. We are a founding partner of MBFI. So if you have research ideas, if you have extension ideas, I am all ears. I like to help producers. If you want more resources on the website, if you want more on any type of thing, whether it's production management or business risk management, if there's areas you're uncomfortable or need guidance, we will, we will make sure that we put together some resources that help you, whether that be workshops or info on the website we are happy to help. If you have ideas for speakers you'd like to see at our AGM, um, anything like that, please, please let us know. Check out our website for dates for your fall district meetings that are coming up in October. Love to see you there. And that is where we have resolutions brought forward. So that's a a great place to be. And we, we do give a report of our activities there. 
but yeah, other than that, it's, it's a phone line is always open. My email is always open. I, I love meeting new producers and I love visiting with folks that I've known for years and, and please communicate we're, we're happy to help on whatever front there may be. If you have an issue or tell us when we're doing a great job too. <laughs> <laughs> and that rolls beautifully into my next question, which was if listeners want to get in contact with you, where can they find you? Sure. You can email me M Atchison. So M A T C H I S O N at mbbeef.ca. Or you can just visit mbbeef.ca and check out our resources there. Our whole staff listing is there. Our directors are all there. If you're unfamiliar which district you're in and who is your local representative, you can find that all there. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to join me today for the recording. And I'm really excited about a lot of the things that you brought up today. There's lots coming up and for the beef industry to be excited about and lots of opportunities, I think, that are that are on the horizon. So thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beef and Forage Roundup. For more information on the on-farm projects or upcoming extension events, please visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at MB Beef and Forage. For full project reports and more information about MBFI, please visit our website, mbfi.ca. If you have feedback on the show, questions about content, are interested in becoming a project supporter, or want to submit a proposal for a research project topic, please email information at mbfi.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an upcoming episode. The research programs and daily operations at MBFI would not be possible without funding from the province of Manitoba, Government of Canada, and the Canadian Agricultural Partnership, as well as partnership with Manitoba Agriculture, Manitoba Beef Producers, and Ducks Unlimited Canada.